G'day, I'm Ian Swain, the owner of Swain Destinations, and welcome to another G'day with Ian Swain. Today I have the pleasure of catching up with my great friend, or a mate as we call our friends, both female and male in Australia, Penny Rafferty. I first met Penny, I first met Penny while she was managing my favourite lodge in the Barossa Valley, the Louise, for Jim and Helen Carriker, also mates. Ten years ago, Penny then became, and still is, the first executive officer of Luxury Lodges of Australia when it was formed. And I remember the day that James Valley formed it, and I chatted with, who we chatted with just the other day, announced the formation of the agreement between the luxury providers of accommodation down under. Since then, Luxury Lodges of Australia has blossomed and has become an integral part of my and so many other people's businesses. The Australian government saw Penny's potential and suggested she also manage the premium sector for Tourism Australia globally. So who better to talk about luxury in my homeland than Penny? So g'day Penny, Executive Officer of Luxury Lodges of Australia and the Global Manager of Premium Tourism Australia. Hello Ian, g'day. Yeah, the, the g'day is how you should say it now, Penny. I've got to teach you how to speak I know, you know I never, You know I never say that, but that's okay. I know. And I never used to say it until I moved to America. And now I say it all the time. But anyway, so we're going to talk about Australia and um, particularly about luxury lodges. And the luxury lodges of Australia cover the Australian continent from north to south and east to west. Can you give us a high level brief overview of the lodges that make up the collection and where they're located? Sure. Um, Australia is pretty much the same size as the USA and the lodges are all in regions all over Australia that have something compelling to do there. So the diversity of landscape from the rainforest in the north, the top end, which is our equivalent of the Okavango with Bamaroo Plains, different reef systems on the east and the west coast, so the Great Barrier Reef with Lizard Island and Qualia, but then you've got a, a tented camp, Salsalis at Ningaloo Reef, which is the third longest fringing reef in the world. We've got food and wine regions, Margaret River um, with Cape Lodge over in the Western Coast, which is a man-planned man wine region. So quite different to the Barossa, which is where I live and where we met um, with the Louise. Um, you've got Sapphire down in Tasmania, an island off an island. So that what the lodges are is they showcase incredibly diverse regions of Australia on a continent that's pretty much the same size as the USA. That's great. You went through the whole country very, very well there, Penny. I'm glad you remembered them all. Um, <laughs> I've been to almost all the lodges. There's one I haven't been to. And I know it's probably too difficult for you to give an answer that covers all the lodges in the collection. But how are the lodges approaching the current challenges to both international travel to Australia and the current restrictions on travel within Australia? Uh, right now, uh, the lodges are all closed. Um, borders within Australia are also closed and it's just too difficult for travel. But um, they are, some of them are, you know, taking the opportunity like Lake House, for instance, to convert their staff who are, um, Lake House is a foodie mecca. So the, the food and beverage staff and the, the chefs are an absolutely integral part of their DNA. So those chefs are multitasking. They're now working in, in the orchard and the garden at Derry Flat. They've converted Wombat Hill House, which is their beautiful cafe up in the, up in the park in, in um, 
Dale's fit into a pickup for amazing sourdough, beautiful pastries, fresh garden produce, coffees. So they're still continuing their foodie philosophy while in, in shutdown. Um, the, you know, Brian and Karina Barry at Pretty Beach House have converted their um, offering into, again, a sourdough bakery and really still embracing the, the food integrity of place and the offering that they have for, for the locals who are also pretty much in, in isolation. As soon as we come out of this, the lodges absolutely have got plans to staff up, get going and offer their unique experiences again. But for the moment, they're, they're in shutdown and trying to make the most of it, you know, like many people, catching up on projects that will only improve the guest experience once they re reopen. Is there any news on uh, when they feel the lockdown will end or travel will start to, to come back again? Okay. Well, let me just get my crystal ball because um, it, it is the question. Nobody knows, Ian. Um, you know, there's Tourism Australia have got a, a you know, a, a strategy in line and, and you know, their green light project, looking at what are the triggers to actually figure that out. But right now it's a little early and we're, we're subject like everybody else to air capacity, border controls, um, everything like that. So I wish I knew, everybody wishes they knew, but um, we'll, we'll both go to that crystal ball shop as soon as we can find one. Right, I know I've been listening to Pip Harrison, the, the uh, CEO of Tourism Australia, doing her, at, at my time, midnight webinars uh, to the Australian yeah. public and finding them quite interesting and, and uh, giving me a lot of information that we can't generally find online. So it's been um, well and truly appreciated how Tourism Australia is putting out the word of what it is to let us, let us know because we're an integral part of the travel industry from here and it, we're dependent on it. So it's um, interesting to get more, more intake. But yeah. one thing, uh, go on. We can, sorry, we can all have a very clear strategy about what happens when we get going. The tricky thing is the actual date. Yeah, and it's also, we've got to come back very fluid and, and understand that what we have yeah. a strategy now for may change the drop of a hat. But I think we can both agree that Luxury Lodges of Australia is a collection of the finest that Australia has to offer. They're unique in the lodges themselves are exceptional as you were just talking before, but more so because each is uniquely positioned in national parks in some cases that offer breathtaking views and offer tastes and experiences which are authentically Australian. What would you say is the most uniquely Australian experience a traveler can have is if you had to pick one or two across the lodges? Goodness, so 19 lodges. Um, it's like asking somebody to pick their favorite child. There is a unique experience that actually applies to all of them, and that's the people. Um, yes, the lodges, beautiful, all of them stunning landscapes, but showing incredible diversity. But actually, it's the connection with the Australian people that makes it uniquely Australian. And because the lodges are by and large small, between four and 40 rooms or 60 in the case of Qualia, there's an intimacy there. There is a, um, you do get to meet people. You, they get to know their guests incredibly well. And nobody ever comes back from a trip talking about the thread count on the sheets. They always come back from a trip going, oh my goodness, I met the most amazing guide 
who taught me about diapause, which is this extraordinary thing that kangaroos can do putting a pregnancy on hold if the season is bad. You know, it's the things you learn from the people and the friendliness of the people that you remember. Having said that, you know, every single one of them has got what I call the <gasps> moment when you arrive, not necessarily at the beginning of a trip, but when you get that incredible connection to place. You know, in the case of Sapphire, you walk through the building and you are then connected almost umbilically to the view of the Hazard Mountains, the Pink Granite Mountains. And whatever you are doing during your stay there, those mountains are visible, whether you're out in the, in the oyster farm over with the Tasmanian devils doing a hike. Each lodge has that moment of almost physical connection with place. And for me, that, that's the second wow moment, um, the people and the place. And that's really why people travel to the lodges to experience that. Yeah, I have 100% agree with you on that and um, the aha moment you have when you walk into some of these lodges. But it is it's the, it's the connection you have with, in some cases, the owners are the, are the managers and in some cases the yeah. managers believe they're the owners. And they, the whole family is, is a big family and they just look to, look to making sure that our guests, our travellers coming from far away, have an incredible experience and enjoy it the first time. And, and they, they really... Um, are magical people to do that. I mean, it's amazing how they do it every day, day in and out. One thing that leads to um, is the community spirit, which, which you have in each of these lodges. Some of them are located in, in out of the way places. So people live on site or there's a staff village or something like that. They're not living in the city or driving to and from work every day. And they've just got some great um, examples of, of um, heartwarming stories and great examples of people pulling together in times of difficult times and to endure the difficult times together. You must have heard some, some great stories from the lodges or even from your own community in the Barossa Valley, because I know that's such a tight knit community. Um, yeah. What sort of stories have you heard about that have been that just made it, made you smile to your face during these terrible times? Oh, um, actually going before the, the COVID lockdown, the bushfire season, so, mm -hmm. you know, the, the double whammy, I think the, the, the heartwarming stories were of the outpouring of support, particularly on Kangaroo Island and in the Blue Mountains where Walgan Valley is. Um, when the fires were happening, one, the, the outreach and the outpouring of, of love and support from past guests, past employees, people from all over the world, there was a real genuine empathy for Australia and its wildlife, its people, and and the the you know the the stress, sheer stress and trauma that Australia went through, um, particularly things like the return of the echidna and the the kangaroo to the Southern Ocean Lodge site. That was just heartwarming. That you know signs of life after such devastation, and the same at Walgan Valley. Um, I went there in March, literally the weekend before. Um, global lockdown pretty much started um, and was invited to plant a tree. So I now have three trees that I've planted there, you know, building a forest. Oh, but, um, I've, only, I've only got the, two trees there. Oh, no one up the ship, Ian. <laughs> we just, you know, it's, um, it, but it was really incredibly special spending time with um, Simone Brooks, who's the conservation manager there and her team. And they had, uh, you know, get worked 
for the last five or six years with guests gathering a seed bank. And that seed bank is now helping them to replant, um, help rebuild um, habitats for wildlife. The positivity and the, and the ability to create, um, engage guests with that kind of conservation work was really special and, and a real privilege to be part of. No, it's a very special place, Morgan. And I think Simone was featured in one of the videos that Tourism Australia recently launched. Yes, launched about she was. The conservation part. So it's a really um, interesting yeah. thing to see that. But yeah. no, I planted a couple of trees there at Wagon Valley. I just love going there. And um, it's really good to go back and see your trees actually growing because uh, when you put them in, they're very, very small. Um, and it really makes it well, it makes you feel happy that you've done that. We have a yeah. thing called the Swain Grove down there where we take all our clients who go to Walgan Valley and they plant a tree in the same sort of area. So it's in an area um, which it makes us, makes everyone feel a little bit better about traveling and makes them feel like they have purpose down there. My feeling, um, this is purely my feeling, is that some travelers, when they start to go, start to travel again, will want to experience smaller, less populated areas for the vacations which really makes Luxury Lodges of Australia members ideally situated for their recovery. Are you, as Luxury Lodges of Australia, feeling this is something that will happen? Yes. Um, and many people that I've spoken to all over the world in, in the last sort of four to six weeks are confirming that in terms of their personal travels, their clients' travels. Um, it, it's, I think... While there is a desire for human connection that, that we all have and that is part of our travel tribe, people are kind of liking having a sense of their personal space, which is something that in crowded spaces was a bit of a downside on travel in a lot of ways. Um, I think there is, you know, we kind of all have been sent to our rooms to have a really good think about what do we value in life, really. And I think something that people have really started to reevaluate is, okay, their freedom and freedom to move, their sense of health and wealth, well-being, time with family and loved ones, although for plenty of people, homeschooling, that's been somewhat challenging as well. Um, and where food comes from, where, where what you eat comes from, what nourishes you, and of course, travel. And so while this might sound slightly Pollyanna and you know, I always look for the silver lining in something. I do think that despite the pain and the inconvenience and the fear and all of that kind of thing, there is opportunity for something really good to come out of this. And I hope that not just seeking more isolated spaces, but really valuing what, what is in, what is positive about travel is something that comes out of this. So that seeking of a deeper connection with place, with people, whether it's planting a tree or whether it's, you know, sharing a, an incredibly privileged access to place with, with a loved one, which is pretty much what the lodges represent anyway. Um, that's what we've always been about, is that access to extraordinary place and people. Yeah, as I said, I think the LLRA are um, ideally suited for the recovery. And I think you're exactly right with the purpose and place comments. And then I think it's going to be something that drives. I know that um, your daughter is into dancing. 
Matilda, yes. a very good dancer. How is she coping with the um, isolation? Um, she's okay. She, you know, she's teenager. She's very social. It's that age. She's missing her friends, but um, you know, for once, Snapchat and all those kind of things are are a great vehicle. We're really we're very lucky. We, we're in the Barossa. We we still have, you know, access to the outside, access to, you know walks and, and fresh food and what have you. The social side of it, she is missing. But right. she's been, we're the Zoom generation. She's been doing dance classes on Zoom, much as we've all been living on Zoom. Yeah, I saw, I saw a, um, a quick video of Matilda trying to teach Mike how to dance, actually. <laughs> it went global, don't tell Mike. <laughs> anyway, in closing, <laughs> We've we've met some we've met in some beautiful and tropical and isolated and special places, including, as I said before, your beautiful home in Barossa Valley, where we enjoyed a great red and local produce with your husband Mike and beautiful daughter Matilda. But really, Penny, my most cherished memory is when we had a meeting while enjoying foot reflexology in Melbourne. I'm sure you remember that day vividly, but it's set in my mind for a long time, and, and I hope that we can redo that again. But I want, to thank I, you. So. I want to thank you for sharing your time and wisdom today with me and look forward to our next meeting, wherever that may be. So stay well and stay healthy. You too, Ian. Sending lots. Okay. Thank you. Bye.